0: Hello, and welcome to the Iowa Hospital Association bi weekly IHA advocacy podcast. I'm Maureen Keenley, Senior Vice President of Government Relations, and along with members of the IHA advocacy team, we will be providing you with the most recent updates from the State House this week. Our program begins now.
1: good afternoon everyone and welcome to advocacy 101 i guess i should say good afternoon but if you're listening to this later whatever time of day it is welcome aboard we're going to walk through advocacy 101 today and as you can see here from the slide welcome to the iowa capitol hopefully if you're listening live or if you're listening to a recording it's because you are considering coming to the capitol to advocate for better health care policy in iowa so thank you so much for listening in today So first of all, I just wanna say thank you so much for caring enough to learn more about advocacy in Iowa. Your voices are so important to healthcare advocacy and the reason why, and we're gonna go through this here in just a second, is that medical professionals are the most trusted occupation in the United States. So congratulations to all of you for uh, making a tremendous impact in the lives of those you serve. You are obviously trusted. What that also means is that as advocates, you have a very strong voice and an impact in a way that others can't make. So we wanna make sure if you're out there, you're medical professionals, we want you at the Capitol helping out and we can't do it without you. So I'm gonna show you here really quickly. Um, This is a Forbes report that comes out every year and it shows America's most and least trusted professions. And you can see right up there, Nurses, medical doctors, and pharmacists, right there at the top. So that makes you in a unique position, not only to talk about your uh, expertise, but because you're trusted to have that impact. What I think is also very interesting is lobbyists are commonly lawyers. You can see lawyers down there at the bottom of the pack. Um, so we really need your help. We really want your help, and uh, we hope that you'll consider advocating with us. So with that, uh, we're gonna talk right now about the importance of healthcare advocacy, why it's so important and how to get it done. So first of all, just as a reminder, we just talked about your voice is extremely important because you're the experts. You understand the issue better than a lobbyist, you understand the issue better than a legislator, and you understand the issue better than anyone at the Capitol. You're the experts, you know your community, you know your patients. That's why it's so important that you use your voice. A second component that makes you so valuable and important is you are a constituent. You are the person who's going to be voting for that legislator and you understand their community. So they're going to listen to you above all others because you can vote for them and because you know your community. I just mentioned understanding your community is so important to them. You understand what unique niches your community faces from a healthcare perspective, what's on the minds of those you serve, and it's something you can relate to legislators very well. Like we talked about, you're the most trusted profession, so that makes you uniquely qualified. And then the last thing that I just want to point out is that the legislature is a citizen legislature. That means that it's comprised of a whole host of citizens with a range of different backgrounds. They don't necessarily understand healthcare policy. As a matter of fact, we have very few legislators that come from a healthcare background. So, these are the reasons why it is so important that you use your voice at the Capitol and to help those understand healthcare policy. So, just as a little quiz here, just so we understand what the composition of the Iowa legislature is. Uh, And I wish you were all in the room so I could see your faces, but I'm going to ask what you think the most common occupation is in the Iowa legislature. Could it be a physician, a farmer, a teacher, or an attorney? The answer is B. There are currently 32 farmers in the Iowa legislature and this is 20 percent of the whole entire 150 members of the General Assembly and business owners are the second most prominent occupation. So as I mentioned there is not a lot of healthcare expertise in the legislature so we really need you up there to help them understand the issues they're working through. There are some very complicated issues Over the years, we've had everything from cytomegalovirus to tort reform to understanding informed consent, and these are very difficult issues for anyone to understand, Uh, and your background and expertise helps legislators to understand that. And just to give you uh, an example here, we talked about farmers being the most prominent occupation. This is our Senate Human Resources and Health and Human Services Appropriations Committee. So these are the folks in the Senate who are in charge of funneling anything that's healthcare policy through committee. And you can see here that four out of the six of those making health care policy decisions are farmers. Now, these are smart folks. There is no doubt but they do not have that healthcare background, which is why we need you. Just another slide that illustrates why your advocacy is so important. Hospitals are very unique. They're highly regulated. There are a host of federal and state regulations that impact hospitals every single day, whether it be the forms you're filling out, the forms you're walking through with patients, The criteria you have to meet each time you meet with a patient, every single thing you do is regulated. That's unique. Not all industries experience that. So because of that high level of regulation, uh, we need to make sure that we continue to advocate for hospitals. There is a level of government interaction that we just don't see in other industries. So making sure that they're always informed and that they understand the issues are very important. Another important piece, two-thirds of hospital revenue comes from government. Again, that is a very unique situation. Medicaid and Medicare constitute a lot of hospital reimbursement and revenue. Again, making government interaction very, very high uh, within this industry. So ensuring that legislators understand how your hospital is impacted not only by regulations, but by fiscal policy is very important. And finally, we touched on this just a few minutes ago, but legislators respond first and foremost to voters. So as a lobbyist for hospitals, I'm up at the Capitol all the time talking to hospitals or to legislators, but they don't get that unique understanding of what's going on in a community that they get from you, and I can't vote for them. So having you there is important for all of these reasons. And just kind of a, a glimpse into how many issues they're dealing with. They are bombarded routinely with health care policy. So, just this year, we're in the fifth week, finishing up the fifth week of session, but in the first three weeks of session alone, so just as they're hitting the ground, uh, there were 32 subcommittees on healthcare policy, and we're now tracking well over 100 bills on healthcare policy. Some of the issues they heard just within the first three weeks of session as they were trying to get into their roles and understand what's happening included surgical smoke, telehealth, pre-existing conditions emergency room reimbursement, midwife licensure, newborn screenings, loan repayment, and residencies. So it's a lot to take in in a citizen legislature. So that's just kind of an overview of why your voice is so important and why healthcare advocacy is vital. But if we really want to make sure you have all the tools that you need to be good advocates at the the legislature, We wanna make sure that you understand the process. Understanding how a bill is moving through the process, where it is in the process, and when to outreach to a legislator on that bill are very, very important aspects of being a good advocate. So we're gonna walk you through the advocacy process, how a bill becomes a law, and what a bill goes through each step of the way. So we're gonna start with I'm Just a Bill, an overview of Iowa's lawmaking process. And you can see here, this is Bill from Schoolhouse Rock, and I don't know about you, but I grew up with Bill and I just loved watching I'm Just a Bill on Schoolhouse Rock, and we are actually going to watch that because as simple as it is, it's actually a really good illustration of how a bill becomes a law. So, a bill's journey really begins with an idea. Uh, It could be a problem that needs to be solved, it could be best practices to implement, or it could be funding that's needed. Um, I think that many of us grew up with a lot of concepts surrounding clean air. Uh, In a lot of cities, there were questions and concerns about the quality of air, and so there was a problem to be solved. There was Clean Air Act that needed to be passed, and we've seen that happen. Um, it could be required funding. One of the biggest funding issues that we're all dealing with currently is funding the mental health system. So that's something that will happen this legislative session. There'll be a lot of concern and activity around how to make sure it's adequately funded, funded. But all of these issues start with an idea or a concept or something that needs to be solved. So you start with this idea or this concept that needs to be solved, and then you have to have the actual bill itself, the actual language. So once you have an idea, there's a request to what's called the Legislative Services Agency or LSA to draft a bill. Um, Legislative Services Agency is considered a bipartisan arm of the Iowa legislature. The agency is not comprised of Democrats or Republicans, but bipartisan individuals there to help legislators through the drafting process and to understand how a bill interacts with current law. So they're really there Mm -hmm. to assist in ensuring that the policy is drafted appropriately, effectively, um, and that it's coordinated with current law. So once this bill is drafted, and it can be requested by a committee, it can be requested by a legislator, and it's really important to understand whose bill it is. That makes a big difference when you're advocating to. Um, but once you know whose bill it is and it's been drafted, that bill is sent to the leader of the legislative chamber, and they're going to determine the path forward for that bill. So once the bill is given to the leader of that chamber, they're going to assign it to a committee. Now, often in our world, we're going to see our bills assigned to what's called the Human Resources Committee. And the Human Resources Committee deals with anything that's healthcare, resources for humans, um, and that's where it gets its name. So the bill will go to committee, but we do also sometimes have bills in state government committee. For example, emergency medical services typically goes through state government committee, or anything that deals with public hospitals often goes through state government committee. Human resources is typical. And if you look up um, at the picture on the right, that is an example of what a full committee looks like. There are many legislators, there are Democrats and Republicans, and they're going to sit around a table and they're going to discuss a bill. Um, So once it goes to full committee, it's then assigned to a subcommittee. And a subcommittee is three members of the full committee. It's usually two members of the majority party and one member of the minority party. So this year, that means that from that committee, they'll pull two Republicans and one Democrat. And that subcommittee is responsible for thoroughly vetting and researching that bill by holding a subcommittee hearing. They're going to listen to lobbyists. They're going to listen to the public and they're going to determine whether they want to move that bill out of subcommittee and you can see on the left side uh, rob gardner who's ceo of henry county health center in mount pleasant he's actually advocating in a subcommittee to ensure that a certificate of need bill does not pass out of subcommittee. And you can see everyone standing behind him. You can actually see several CEOs behind him, and they're all there at subcommittee to make their case for why that certificate of need bill should not advance out of subcommittee. So it's really up to those three legislative members to determine whether that bill moves or not. So you'll often see an action alert that just goes to a member of a subcommittee because at that point we want to kill it or move it through that process. Once the subcommittee hears the bill, they can either decide, nope, it's not going anywhere, and the bill dies there, or they can decide to pass it through and send it back to the full committee on the right to determine whether it should advance again. So that full committee then hears the bill, and they can either pass it or decide not to advance it. If it doesn't advance again, it dies at that stage. If the full committee And again, you'll see action alerts with us saying a full committee is now hearing a bill, and we'll ask you to weigh in with the full committee. If the full committee supports the bill and it moves out of full committee, then it then goes to the floor of that chamber for debate. The bill is listed as eligible and potentially scheduled for debate. So this is a picture of the House floor and you can always tell the difference between the House and the Senate floor because the House has a hundred members and the Senate has 50 members. So looking down you can see there's a lot of members down there so this is uh, an image of the House. Um, And if the bill is set for debate it could still die. So sometimes we'll outreach you and say we want to pressure the legislative chamber to take up this bill and make sure it gets to the floor because it doesn't get debated on the floor. Again this is a next step in the process Uh, Where where the bill does not survive, Um, but if it's scheduled for debate, that's a good thing Uh, You'll often see amendments start to be filed to be attached to that bill uh, on the floor for debate a Majority of the chamber has to approve the bill when it goes to the floor for debate if a majority does not approve it again The bill dies Then the bill and any amendments are sent to the other chamber and guess what the bill goes through the full process again so if you're advocating and you're uh, advocating for a piece of health care policy, it's really important to understand where a bill is in this process because that's going to guide you on who you're talking to about the bill and what you want them to do, what specific action you want them to take. So I know that's a lot of information, um, but that's really, in a nutshell, the process. So as I talked about, it goes over to the second chamber and it's going to go through that same process again. It's going to be assigned to a committee, it's going to go to subcommittee, full committee, and a floor vote. If at any point in the process in the other chamber uh, doesn't make it, then again, it, the bill dies. Um, if the bill's amended in the second chamber, it goes back to the first chamber, and then it could bounce back and forth, then you have a bouncing bill. So understanding, again, this process, and we can always help you to understand where your bill is in the process, but understanding it is important so you know who to outreach to. Once the bill passes both chambers, then it has to go to the governor, which is another chance for the bill to survive or die. So being an advocate is tough work. You really have to keep your eye on the prize the whole way through. Um, and the governor can sign the bill. She can veto the bill. She can say, no, no, I'm I gonna completely ixnay this bill. It won't move forward and it dies. She can also take no action. Uh, if she takes no action, Um, then it can become law depending on what stage of session it's in. It has to be signed within 30 days after the end of session or it's pocket vetoed. So that's, she has a lot of power once that bill gets to her desk. So ensuring that you also outreach the governor once it passes both chambers is important. And you can see there on the right, that's an example. If you haven't been to a bill signing, that's an example of a bill signing. Uh, where she is proclaiming that the bill has been signed and she signs it. And that was actually a telehealth bill. You can see a lot of hospital representatives in that picture as well. So let's put that illustration into practice, because I do think, as I said, that's a simplified version of how a bill becomes a law. And it does seem simple on the surface. Uh, But if you've ever been involved in advocacy and moving a piece of legislation, it's not simple at all. Uh, In my former life, I worked for the Iowa Department on Aging. And The abuse of Iowa's elders was an issue that the department often um, looked into. And so I'm going to use elder abuse legislation as an example because, again, on the surface this seems very simple. I think that we can all agree that financially exploiting older Iowans is a bad thing and everybody agrees that, that we do not want to see exploitation of older Iowans. So, let's just say that you want to make sure that you have a law to protect older Iowans from financial exploitation. You may have a definition of financial exploitation, and here's an example. A process by which an individual knowingly takes, retains, or disposes of the funds, property, and resources of older Iowans that result in depriving older Iowans of those resources. Seems simple, right? Well, here comes the lobby. Uh, and this is, I think, why lobbyists are beloved. So let's say that there's a lobbyist representing a widget salesman. It could be someone who sells vacuums or cleaning products. Uh, they're going to say, what about a free market? If I want to sell a lady 10 vacuums and she really wants 10 vacuums, uh, you know, that could be in- construed as knowingly taking, retaining, or disposing of her funds uh, and depriving her of resources. Uh, I-, I don't like it. I want to narrow the definition. Farmers may say, this is an important issue to us because we want to keep the farm in the family. And if, if, you know, mom or dad wants to give me that farm without any type of payment whatsoever, could I somehow fall into this definition of financial exploitation? Let's make an exception within it. And prosecutors are going to say, this is a nice, broad definition. Don't change a thing. And you start to see the weight of different opinions buckle something that seems very simple on the surface. And this is what happens during the legislative process, and that's why it's important to watch as the bill moves every step of the way and to use your voice every step of the way, because you just never know when it's going to become overly complicated, a wrench is going to get thrown in the plan, and it's going to fall apart. It's also why you see that it often takes years and years um, to pass a bill that seems basically good. A great example of this is telehealth payment. Uh, Something that the hospital industry has been trying to get for many, many years is payment parity for telehealth. Uh, Started by a small bill saying that if it's in the Medicaid program, it needs to be covered. Then there was a bill that said we want coverage parity, making sure it's covered easily. Uh, This year, we have a payment parity bill, and it's the furthest it's ever gone, but it's taken years and years to get a bill for telehealth payment parity to this point. So um, just making sure you're advocating every step of the way. Now, like I said, because it takes so much time, don't give up. Uh, there are a lot of concepts that have taken years and years to pass. Things can become complicated, but you've got to keep trying, you've got to keep pushing. Uh, it's it's very rare that something doesn't eventually give even if it takes years and you start to make some progress. So that progress comes from allowing the General Assembly and the lobby to be comfortable with the concept and an idea, and that can take a long time. So don't give up on your issue. So I just covered at the basics of advocacy, uh, the process itself. Uh, so now we're actually going to move into you know, this is how the process works. How do I actually take action? How do I actually institute some of this knowledge that I have now? So how do you talk to your legislators? And you can see here some great illustrations of how you do successfully talk with your legislators. The first picture up there in the left corner is a group of our advocates at Hospital Day on the Hill. They've been versed and ready to hit the Capitol. Down there in the middle, you see one of our hospital CEOs talking to one of his senators uh, you can see they're both seriously discussing health care policy. And then up in the right-hand corner, you can see two legislators with a group of hospital advocates, uh, and they're on the chamber floor, which is pretty neat. If you get the opportunity to go to the chamber floor with your legislator, I highly suggest you take that opportunity. Most people can't go on the chamber floor. As a lobbyist, I can never go on the chamber floor, even if I'm invited by a legislator. So it's a great opportunity, and it's a lot of fun, pretty neat to see it. So hopefully you'll get that opportunity uh, if you're at the capitol. So talking to your legislators can be a little scary but I just want to remind you that the Iowa Hospital Association staff is here to help. Uh, On our hospital down the hill if that's the event you're attending uh, we're always up in the rotunda. It can help step into any conversations you need us in. If you're if you're watching this video and you're going to be advocating on your own please feel free to outreach to us in advance. So let's just talk for a second about what advocacy is. Uh, Advocacy is really just about building support for an issue to influence those who are making the policy decisions. So making sure your legislator is aware, making sure that they understand it and that they can vote in the right way on that issue. And I can't tell you how many times we've gone to talk to a legislator about an issue and they'll say, you know what, haven't heard from my community hospitals on this. Where are my community hospitals? And that's the essence of what advocacy is. So you can provide information to decision makers or legislators through facts and figures to show impact. Data is often helpful. Stories from the field to demonstrate a real life effect. You can talk to them if there's an issue in your community about how it's impacting the members of your community. You can share some memorable experiences. Oftentimes, we'll have medical professionals talk about what it was like to care for someone in a certain situation, and those really do resonate with legislators. You can also share your practical experience of how a proposed solution will enhance or detract from desired goals. That's probably the most often form of advocacy that I hear is hospitals saying, you know, if you pass this, this is how it's going to impact our hospital, and it's going to trickle down to our community. Um, My guess is that you've all advocated in your life uh, in one way or another, uh, but this is just a basic overview of what advocacy is. So we've all seen advocacy. We've seen the good advocacy. We've seen the bad advocacy. And there are times we've even seen some advocacy that's, that's probably not great at all. Um, So let's talk about a template for success. What are the ways that we can make sure that when we advocate, we hit all the key points? So this is what I would say is my template for success. If you have your own, I think that's great, but this just might give you some ideas. When I think through the absolute critical ingredients for making sure I'm communicating well with my legislator, these are the things that I think about. First and foremost, I introduce myself. I'm Kim Murphy. I'm with the Iowa Hospital Association. Connect to your local community. Uh, If you're at the hospital, you can say, I am with Acme Hospital in the community of uh, Ottawa, and I want to talk to you a little bit about what's going on in our community. Always make a direct ask, open with a direct ask. I'm here because I want you to vote for telehealth parity. And then support your ask. Why is it important to your community? And give an example. So, uh, you know, Senator... I'm here to ask you to support telehealth parity when it comes to the floor for a vote. It's important to our community because it ensures access to services and supports that our patients would not otherwise have. Here's an example. And then at the end of your story, make your ask again. So that's why I'm asking you to please support telehealth parity when it comes to the floor. Once you make your ask again, say, do you have any questions for me? how this impacts us. You have any questions about this bill? And then if they do answer their questions, if you don't know the answer, it's always okay to say, I don't know, I'll get back to you. Leave your contact information. And then the last thing, and this is so important, and I often hear advocates forget this, but you need to thank your legislator for their support and all they do. That is vitally important. Legislators don't get to hear thank you very often. They get to hear a lot of complaints, but they don't often hear thank you, and that resonates with them. So we're going to walk through a few do's and don'ts, but this is a template for success, and we'll come back to this at the end of the presentation. So some common pitfalls. We're just going to walk through these. Uh, One of the common pitfalls is not remembering that you're working with a citizen legislature. Uh, I think in the beginning of the presentation, I uh, mentioned an issue called cytomegalovirus uh, that ran that was a, an issue in the legislature a few years ago, and I think a mistake that was often made when it comes to that issue is just walking up to a legislator and saying, "I'm going to talk to you about cytomegalovirus. No, it's bad. Please do this." And I think the legislator is still back on cytomegalovirus. What is that? So making sure that you slow down and you break things down in a way that they understand, particularly in the medical industry and when you're working with medical terminology. Because if you are talking about an issue, for example, cytomegalovirus, you're going you're gonna to lose them right away just with that terminology. So slowing things down, breaking it down. Remember, they're not familiar uh, with the world that you work in. So they just might need a little bit of help getting there. Another common pitfall is not making the ask. So I get to spend a lot of time in the rotunda and I get to listen to a lot of advocates talking with legislators. And oftentimes those advocates will come up to the legislator and they'll go on and on and on and on and on about their issue and then they're done and they walk away. And oftentimes the legislator has no idea what the ask is. Do I vote for it? Do I vote against it? Where is it? Is it in committee? Is it on the floor? So ensuring that Even as you're educating them, you have to make that ask, which is why the template for success has you making the ask in the beginning and in the end because they're trying to digest a lot, and there's a lot going on in their world in any given day. So making sure they fully understand what it is you want them to do. Um, A great example, just the other day I called out a legislator, and I wanted to make an ask of him. And I did not know this, but he had just come off the floor from debating a bill. It was a huge bill and it was his bill. So his mind was elsewhere. So really making sure that I understood where he was in his day and slowing it down and making sure he understood became vital immediately. So just understanding that they need to understand what you want them to do. Another common pitfall is a purely emotional plea. Oftentimes as as advocates, we feel very passionate about something. And especially when it comes to patient care. Uh, But if you just make a purely emotional plea, uh, legislators oftentimes will not respond if it's purely emotional. Um, I know that those stories that tug on legislators' heartstrings are important, but they have to have some context with them. Use your emotional plea as your example if you want to, but make sure you hit all the other issues within that template for success so that they understand the full issue and what it is you want them to do. Another common pitfall, two sides to every story. No matter what, there's always going to be someone on the other side of your issue, and you should never hide that from a legislator. If you hide the other side from a legislator, you're instantly going to lose credibility. A very common question that a legislator will ask is, you know, I I agree with you and I tend to support your position, but what kind of opposition is there on this issue? I think it's a very bad response to say, I don't know. I can't imagine that anybody would ever be against this because there's always someone. So do your best to understand the other side too. And if the legislator asks, you can say, for example, in telehealth parity, I do believe that the insurance industry might object to this bill, uh, but it's very important because, and then reiterate your position. But if you do know of opposition, make sure that you tell that to your legislator so they're not surprised or taken off guard. And like I said, it will establish some instant credibility between you and the legislator. Another common pitfall, getting to the point. As I mentioned, legislators have a lot on their plate and time is not something they have a lot of. So making sure that when you do your template for success that you try to keep your conversation to around 10 minutes, even less is better. Uh, If you hold a legislator up for too long, they're gonna get frustrated. They're moving from one thing to the next, and so making sure that you're as concise as you can be. Definitely have a great conversation with them. Have a polite conversation. Make those connections back to your hometown, but don't take up too much of their time. Um, And they have a slew of meetings in any given day, so making sure that they understand the issue quickly is important. Another common pitfall is making sure you keep it local. Understand connections between that legislator and their committee or community. Uh, I often hear, again, of advocates that pull a legislator out and say they're talking about an issue that impacts an urban area. They'll go on and on and on about the city and urban areas, and then they get all done talking and the legislator says, well, I'm actually from a rural community. So understanding where that legislator comes from, meeting them where they are, and trying to connect to that legislator in their own community, in your community, is vitally important. If you come from the same hometown, try to make a hometown connection. Um, Just try in some way to make sure that they understand you're coming from the same place that they are. That will help tremendously when you're advocating. And as I mentioned in the template for success, always, always be respectful. Uh, Again, I've had experiences in the rotunda of watching really impassioned advocates uh, get frustrated and yell at legislators. That will often ensure that you lose uh, that legislator's vote. Being respectful to them and always thanking them is something that's vital. It's a necessary part of the template for success, and it's something you need to do. I almost always end every conversation with the legislator, even if we don't agree, by thanking them for their time and their commitment to at least learning about the issue. Um, and that's really the best way to proceed with the legislator. So, those were some common pitfalls. Uh, These are just a few more tips that we have to ensure that you have a great day advocating. Speak clearly and concisely, so make sure uh, that you're not rambling too quickly, you're trying to cram a lot of information into just a few minutes. Be direct about your issues. Again, what is it you want them to do? Assume you don't have a lot of time, um, so try to be concise. Don't use jargon, don't use layman's terms, explain things in a way that anyone can understand because they don't have the same background you do. Always be honest and respectful, and if you can, explain both sides of the issue. And just as a reminder, when you do explain both sides of the issue, it allows you a real opportunity to talk to the legislator about why your position is the correct position. So not only does it have that credibility aspect, but then they can understand why you're correct. You know, we do hear a lot from our advocates that they're worried about talking with a legislator, that they're a little scared about it. And so these are just some of the things that we remind advocates before they head to the Capitol. Remember, you always know more about that issue than your legislator does. Uh, It's very, very rare that you're going to have a physician legislator or a legislator with a background in nursing. It's not that that doesn't happen. Um, We have one physician legislator and we have, I think, maybe two nursing legislators Uh, But 99% of the time, you know much, much more than that legislator does. And so remember that, and hopefully that will help calm any fears you may have. Also, IHA government relations staff are always there to help. You can find us in the rotunda. You can call us ahead of time, but we'll always be there to help you out whenever you need assistance. And if you do get stumped, it's always okay to say, I don't know, but I'll find out and I'll follow up with you and then feel free to phone a friend. Um, That's the question we get at a lot of our advocacy events. Can we go visit with a legislator as a group? Absolutely, and as you can see in many of the photos we showed earlier, going as a group not only is comforting, it gets some different ideas on the table, and legislators get a great opportunity to have a group photo they can post in their newsletter. So always feel free to bring someone along. Hopefully all these will help if you do have any fears to calm those fears. But if not, like I said, outreach to government relations staff anytime. Here again, just one more time, just for reinforcement, is the template for success. Um, so making sure that at least you hit all these components when you're talking with legislators. And if you do, uh, then I can guarantee you you're going to have a great conversation regardless of the outcome. And at least that legislator will know, hey, this is a person I can go to when I have questions or concerns about health care policy. So with that, I just want to say thank you to all of you for having an interest in advocating for healthcare policy. Like I said, we absolutely can't do it without without you. We rely on your expertise and your relationships, and legislators do want to hear from you. For those of you who are live on the line today, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for your interest. Um, For those who are listening later, the same to you. I'm really glad that you took the time to Uh, listen see this video about advocacy for healthcare policy and please don't hesitate to outreach if you have any questions or concerns you can see on this slide uh, my email address as well as the phone number you can reach us at and if I'm not at my desk you can outreach to anyone on our government relations team but just want to say thank you so much for all you do you're making a difference in the lives of Iowans every day and thank you.
0: Thank you for listening to our discussion. You can keep up with healthcare policy and other IHA information by subscribing to our daily newsletter, the IHA Today, and the weekly legislative bulletin, which focuses on news from the Capitol. The IHA website, IHAonline.org, is the hub of IHA advocacy. Be sure to follow IHA on social media, including LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and sign up to receive IHA action alerts to communicate important issues with legislators. We will be back in two weeks with another advocacy update.